0: Hi, welcome to Live Your Dream Podcast, episode 33. In this episode, I'm sharing my conversation with Michael Kim about goal setting, time management, building relationships, and happiness and unhappiness. I'm your host, Lena Lee. Today's episode is part three of my conversation with Michael Kim, which we have been continuing for the past two weeks. In the last two episodes, Michael shared lots of wisdom and stories about how to be unhappy. And I've heard from so many of you that you're waiting for Michael's episodes like Korean drama series. Today's episode is a lot of fun too, and Michael is answering questions many of you sent about goal setting, time management, building meaningful relationships, and about happiness and unhappiness. If you haven't listened to part one or part two of this interview, episode 31 and 32, please go back and listen to them since this is a continuing conversation. And if you haven't listened to Michael's first interview, How to Make Yourself Happy, I highly recommend you listen to it. And trust me, it will be worth your time. I'll have a link to all of them on the show notes for today's episode. I've shared with you that I'm launching my first group coaching program, Career Happiness Academy. I've designed it with everything I've learned over the years about success and happiness from people I've interviewed like Michael and also what I've learned from my own career transitions and from coaching many professionals. I realized that so many people are standing in their own way of living their dream lives because they overthink and underact. So many of us talk ourselves out of just trying things because we have so much fears about uncertainty and failures. It really broke my heart to know that so many hardworking people are stuck in unfulfilling jobs and don't have the courage to pursue what they really want to do in their lives. I decided that I will help many people transition into careers they love and live happy and fulfilling lives. And this led me to develop my love coaching framework. So, love, L is for learn about yourself, O is overcome internal obstacles, V is for visualize your success, and E is explore and take action. In my group coaching program, I'll be taking people through an inspirational journey of transforming career and life using my love framework. A lot of people I coach have applied the love framework to their careers and life and have seen profound results. So I decided to create a program to help many more people learn and apply this framework to their careers and lives. This will be a small and exclusive group program, and I'll be inviting three to five highly motivated people to join the program. By joining, you'll be able to meet and develop friendships and build relationships with successful people from different industries. You'll become part of an inspiring community of people who are working towards achieving big goals and big dreams in their lives. What I've noticed from coaching many people is that so often many people have similar struggles and challenges, but because we don't talk about them openly, so many people feel like they're alone. By joining the group program, you'll be able to have the support from other people who may be going through a similar journey and also learn from their experiences. So I'll be selecting a few highly motivated people to work together. The group program is for people who are looking for a community and a cohort that shares their desire for change and to transform their lives and career in a powerful and meaningful way. Although each person may be looking to make a different type of move, the goals will be similar and the group dynamic will offer mutual support, accountability, and a space to share ideas and challenges. So if you're looking for something more than one-on-one coaching and you want to build relationships that can extend beyond the class, then this program is for you. You can learn more about it by going to selinalee.co forward slash C-H-A, which stands for Career Happiness Academy. That is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E.co forward slash C-H-A. And I'll also have a link on the show notes for today's episode. Okay, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michael. So we got so many questions um, about goal setting. How do you set goals that take away from unhappiness or makes you happy?
1: So um, one of the things I do is um, I don't think too long about what my goal should be. hmm I think that whenever I've actually tried to think about it for more than 45 minutes, it doesn't actually get any better. Mm. Uh, I think that the biggest problem I see in people who don't have goals or keep changing goals or feel paralyzed, they can't change their lives, is because they're overthinking the problem. That's they're right. thinking of it like it's a, it's a cognitive problem that, that by researching more, by learning more about things, by thinking more that it's gonna lead to a better result. But it's not, it's actually a problem that is more intimately bound up with your willpower as opposed to figuring something out like a math problem. So most people, I would say, if if you say, well, close your eyes and just imagine a scene of you in, you know, six months from now or six years from now, that would make you happy. That's realistic. They could, they could do that really without any research. Right. Okay, Because most of us subconsciously think about things that we like to do, things that we don't like about our lives, about ourselves. And if you were to tell them, think almost like you're watching a movie, what you're going to be and do five years from now. Mm-hmm. And just describe it in great detail. Most people would be able to do it pretty instantly. Right if you're unable to do it, there's an even more fundamental problem. Yes. You don't even know what makes you happy. Okay? I know. So I do that a lot. Mm-hmm. I actually just uh, think very concretely about what will I be doing in this aspect of my life? What will I be like? Mm-hmm. That's realistic. And then I, as I mentioned in our last segment, I just try to break it down into milestones and behavior.
2: Interesting. Um, and then
1: if I find I can't do the behavior, I realize that that uh, vision is unrealistic. And I have I <laughs> Do like an inferior version of that vision. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so it's like you imagine what your life, you, you'd want it to look like yep. a few years from now. Yep. And then you think about what you can do with your actions to get there. Yeah. I see. Got it. Right. And so mm-hmm. a few
1: years ago, um, so I really hate dressing up in suits.
0: Mm, uh, but you have to dress up in suits all the time. Not anymore, actually. Not anymore. <laughs> a few years ago,
1: I, I actually identified that this was actually making me very unhappy Wow, Not like a big unhappy, but Mm -hmm. on a day-to-day basis, it was causing me irritation. Mm -hmm. So I thought five years from now, this is about five years ago, five years from now, I'm only going to be wearing suits like 10% of the time. (laughs) And the other 90% of the time, I'm going to wear whatever the hell I want. (laughs) So obviously, this is more possible because I have my own business. But five years ago, I had my own business. But But I was in the same role. I but what was happening was I wasn't consciously identifying the situations that caused me to have to dress up in meeting clients.
2: Interesting. And
1: so what I did was I systematically thought, what behaviors can I engage in? What how uh, can we modify the structure of the firm mm-hmm. so that I don't have to dress up and go to meetings mm. as much? And actually, it made a huge difference. I think uh, I, my percentage of suit time has dropped probably from you know high. Uh, whatever, 80%, 90% to probably 10% of the time now. Wow. It brings me really immense amounts of enjoyment.
0: <laughs> and this um, makes me remember another thing that you talked about in our last conversation, which was you have rules on how you conduct your lives, and yeah. you cut out things that doesn't bring you joy or happiness. So what are there some other things on your, on your rules these days?
1: Um, see, I think that um, you know, what I've really consciously tried to do is... Um, very closely identify people that bring me happiness Mm. and people that bring me unhappiness. And I try to actively try to uh, eliminate from my (laughs) life the need to interact (laughs) with people who bring me unhappiness or to minimize it if I can't eliminate it entirely. And then to increase the interactions with people who make me happy. Now, the the funny thing is, just like the whole suit thing, this stuff actually doesn't happen naturally unless you systematically make it happen.
2: That's
0: right.
1: Okay, so, you know, if you just kind of Mm. Do the next thing that's put in front of you, whatever caused you to have to interact with all these people that you don't like, is just going to keep continuing. That's right. So you have to be the one to say, "Not wearing a suit x number of days out of the week is what I really want to do," or you know, "Not interacting with these people and interacting with these other people more is what I really want to do." And I actually think this is a this latter category is a pitfall for most people because in in doing this, many people fall into more unhappiness. Why? In other words. In attempting to spend more time with people that should bring them happiness, they fall into more unhappiness. Why? Because instead of honestly telling themselves, who makes me happy? They adopt society's view of who you should want to spend time with wow. to make you happy. So what happens? Some people try to spend more time with family, even though they actually don't like their family that much. <laughs> okay, Or maybe they don't like everybody in their family equally.
2: That's right. right? Mm-hmm.
1: And they're doing it really more for you know obligation. They spend time with their elderly parents because they feel like they should or need to otherwise they're a bad person right uh you know there's people who actually grow up and work in the same community so they have a set of friends that they've been with since grade school for example and they read somewhere you know happiness is uh, spending more time with your friends and so they go back to the same old friends that probably they're kind of sick of (laughs) instead of just meeting new people so i think Uh, For me, trying to spend more people with people who bring me happiness and less time with people who bring me irritation or unhappiness is a systematic goal like my percentage of suit wearing time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: But I'm just very honest with myself about who brings me happiness and not Mm. rather than trying to conform to what i think i should be doing
0: and then you sit down and think about okay this person bring me, brings me happiness so i will have dinner or weekend meals with them yeah but this person doesn't so if i have to then maybe i'll have breakfast weekday or something like that yeah or
1: just or ig- just not ignore them altogether <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> or try to get away from them i know
0: because it is so true because i think it is dealing with people that causes so much stress and source of unhappiness for so many of us so yeah that, yeah we don't even think about that there's something we can do about it
1: yeah i mean i <laughs> think people just instinctively try to avoid people they don't like right. but they don't think plan ahead to say well i have to deal with this person now but how can i make it so that 18 months from now i don't have to deal with them at all oh, wow. and yet achieve my goals mm. and i think if you planned it that way and you knew that maybe a boss that's difficult or a coworker uh is only uh, this is an 18 month problem mm-hmm. and the things you set in motion will solve it just like the earlier examples of problems that solve themselves with the passage of time then you can move move your focus onto something else rather than being irritated at that person every day.
0: Wow, so interesting. (laughs) So in our first conversation, you talked about how if we don't have clear goals in our lives, we become risk averse. And you said that lack of goals makes people risk averse, which in turn creates inability to pursue goals, which is like a terrible cycle that people don't even know that they're in. So how can we have goal clarity?
1: Yeah, I think really goal clarity comes from uh, this like, visual exercise I was talking about and then breaking it down into smaller actions and milestones mm-hmm. and I think that any goal that takes you more than 45 minutes to think about you should not pursue because it's probably not your goal you're doing way too much thinking and research and I think goals have to be concrete and simple and you can't have too many of them um and I think this really relates to you know I think some people uh, after they heard my last uh uh podcast interview said like there's it seems like your system requires so much work and time management right <laughs> how can you actually do all this stuff
2: right
1: <laughs> and what i do is um this goes to one of the questions that um that we got mm-hmm. is, which is time management and, oh yeah and how do you actually structure your day to make sure you have time to do all these things? right um what i do is i actually literally plan out every minute of my day wow uh, you know, roughly within, roughly within a five ten minute uh, interval. So in terms of the projects or things I'll be doing, mm-hmm. and then the times when I'm I think I'm okay letting other people just schedule over it. I uh, I just leave it open. Wow. Uh, and also I've organized the firm so that other people can see into my calendar and schedule only on my open times. I see. Um, and uh, and this actually allows you to see very clearly. Do you actually have enough time to do all these? things that are necessary to achieve your goal and it also lets you prioritize saying you know if people you don't really like or that really can't um, help achieve your goal keep trying to take up your time instead of just saying yes to whatever comes in front of you you've already pre-scheduled it with something you think is more important so just (laughs) don't do it
0: (laughs) interesting so can you give us an example of how you may structure a day
1: um, sure. So I think uh, today I started at uh, 3.40 a.m. Wow. Um, yeah, I got your email yeah, at 4.00 yeah. a.m. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, from 4.00 to 5.00 a.m., mm-hmm. I had uh, uh, estate planning. So Uh-oh. I did that. And um, I knew that there was a time when there was probably going to be some co- correspondence communications from Asia. But unless it was really an urgent communication, I was not going to deal with it. It's before London went to uh, work. Uh, and the U.S. is all asleep, obviously. So it was a perfect time to do things that I really needed to think very deeply and look up law and things of that sort. Um, And then uh, I ended up uh, blocking out time for working out after that. So I worked out about an hour and a half from, I think, uh, was it 5 a.m. to 6.30 a.m. And uh, also during that time, my thought was, unless there's an emergency, something unexpected, I'm not going to let myself do anything else. Mm. Um, And then from then, you know, I ended up the thing... uh, with the rest of the day, other than meetings I had to do, literally just putting in things that I knew had to be done in the short term into segments of my day. And then there are other things that are more long-term that I actually need to make incremental progress to. And that I do on Sundays. I actually plan it out for the entire week in terms of things that I know are not urgent, but I actually think uh, need to be progressed that week
0: not urgent but important thing yeah what are right. some of those things if you can share with us uh
1: yeah so i think exercise is one of them oh, of you, course, know? you can yeah. you can miss any one segment but if you just keep missing it eventually that's it's right. going to catch up to you mm-hmm. uh, language study is another mm. you know? and then there are uh, several kind of long-term business projects at the firm that require lots of incremental thought mm-hmm.
0: you know? mm-hmm. yeah. the next question has a lot to do with like you talked about like cutting people out that you don't really like want to spend time yeah. with, but it's also important to be building relationship with people that we we want to be building relationship with, right? So it's not hard to meet people because there's so many networking events, but so many of us don't know how to turn them into meaningful relationships. So and you must meet so many people yeah. at like all these different events. So do you have like a system to keep in touch with people so you can keep building and maintaining relationships?
1: Yeah. So I think the very first uh, criteria I use for who I want to keep in touch with is I actually. Have to like something about them. (laughs) If I can't find anything I like about them, Mm -hmm. um, if I think they would just be useful for work, Mm -hmm. but I don't actually like them that much personally, I actually just send them emailers. And Mm -hmm. I figure through the course of just my professional networking, I'll just run into them again. Right. Or I'll just go see them as a business meeting and explain to them, you know, how we could do legal work for them, et cetera. But that's not the same thing as trying to keep personally in touch with that person. That's right. Okay. And so, Once you filter it down to people who there's something about them you like or Mm -hmm. admire, Mm -hmm. that actually means that that interaction gives you at least some type of like happiness or amusement, regardless of whatever other commercial value you think you're Mm going to have. Then I also try to tag it with what things can I do that help them Mm
2: -hmm.
1: uh, in terms of what their goals are. So you kind of have to understand a little bit about what goals they have and what interests they have. Um, And I make sure that I note it down. Uh, in either in my mind or in my address book uh, about that person so that when I'm reaching out to them instead of just reaching out with no purpose I actually do think is there something in my life that will help them get something about what they want Mm. Uh, that way when I reach out it's also has something to do with something that's of interest to them right that would actually help them if it's an introduction to somebody else I know or I know about some development in their area Or I think that I can help them get something they want. And I find over time, if you combine the you like something or admire something about them and you're focused on doing something for them, it actually leads to very, very uh, useful relationships that are really uh, very mutually beneficial. Mm -hmm.
0: And I don't and I think most people don't even think about that.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people end up when they think about networking kind of in a creepy way stalking people they think can benefit them.
0: That's right. It's like, well, what can this person give me or help me?
1: And then they also feel bad about themselves because they feel like uh, they're being fake Mm -hmm. when they don't want to be fake or they feel all this nervousness like, will this person who has nothing, no regard for me, do these things for me as a favor. And Mm -hmm. then they feel all this nervous and we're back to stress of potentially the (laughs) the mismatch between what you want and what the reality is. That's right. So I think that if you actually like or admire something about mm-hmm. them, even if they don't actually do anything for you, uh, just the interaction actually brings you some level of joy and, and interest. That's right. And then if instead of thinking what can they f- do for you, you think what would what you have to offer to them, mm-hmm. that also uh, ensures that the other person finds it of interest. Now, if you're the type of person, you don't have anything to offer to anyone,
2: yeah.
1: you have to basically make a decision as to, are you just going to reduce the number of people that you're going to deal with because (laughs) you're too lazy to actually make yourself interesting to other people? Mm -hmm. Or are you going to actually expand what you're capable of delivering to other people Mm -hmm. in terms of value? Mm -hmm. And I think it's just deep down uh, understanding all human relationships have to be mutually beneficial, Mm -hmm. not like in a creepy commercial way. But, you know, when you're trying to have a relationship with someone else, you really do have to take a genuine interest in them and their welfare and and kind of understand your role in the relationship is to do something that's beneficial to the other person as Mm -hmm.
2: well
0: i think some people who are um, hearing this might think but i'm like early in my careers and i would love to reach out to michael or some other important person successful person and i have nothing to offer to them and like you must get some emails or people reaching out to you and like Is there anything that someone has said or, you know, said in an email, it caught your attention? Like, oh, actually, you know, I would like to meet with this person. What are some of the things that people can do in that situation?
1: Yeah. So I think that um, for a subset of people in a field that's where they're kind of advanced in the field, they do get joy out of seeing a young person who's very ambitious achieve Mm, their goals. That's right. Now, not everybody has this hobby. Mm -hmm. So... (laughs) yeah which is what it is because that's they're really just getting happiness for themselves from seeing that happen that's right so if you interact with somebody and you literally have nothing to offer the person no introductions uh you know no uh uh kind of perspective on the on an idea that they find interesting literally there's nothing about you that the other person would (laughs) find interesting (laughs) then this is the only thing you have to offer. That Mm -hmm. you're very ambitious about the field and you want to succeed. Mm -hmm. And that if they help you and help you succeed, then they will feel like they accomplished something. Uh So if you're dealing with somebody who doesn't have that hobby, then don't waste your time because you're just going to make yourself feel bad That's right. pursuing somebody who treats you like crap. Mm
0: -hmm. And that happened to me
1: a lot when I was younger. Really? uh, Just trying to seek mentors or people to help me. And… and I think that you know you're better off trying to identify people who do have this hobby, and then trying to make yourself better, and so that you actually are a worthwhile, you know, vessel for investment.
0: Mm-hmm. So, did you have mentors uh, in your life?
1: Uh, yeah, I think that along the way, you know, there were people in every job I had who took uh, you know, more time than they really needed to mm-hmm. to try to help me. Mm. Uh, I'm sure everybody had their own reasons, you know, on the. Most altruistic, again, it's uh, people who had this hobby that I just mentioned. They just like to see other people succeed because right. at some point in their career, they kind of got what they wanted and they like the feeling that they're helping other people achieve things and right. they think they're leaving a legacy a bit in the profession. Uh, in other respects, uh, sometimes people mentor you because they think that they will then get from you a greater amount of loyalty and dedication to doing their work. This happens a lot within a workplace. Mm-hmm. So people mentor you is really... a the mentor kind of seems like they're doing it altruistically, but it's really a give and take relationship where if they go out of their way to help your career you're going to sacrifice extra to help do their work mm-hmm. and I think mentees who don't realize that it is a two- way exchange often uh you know have trouble keeping mentors
0: right do you have uh mentees that you mentor
1: um you know not like specific people uh, that I've identified as such, but you know within the firm it's my job to try to coach other lawyers mm-hmm. that I think are promising mm-hmm. to do better mm-hmm. and to achieve their goals so I, I do this a lot with lots of people within the firm
0: uh, yeah. amazing yeah. <laughs> so now we're going to talk about something kind of unrelated to what we've talked about but I heard you recently needed your parents to help you out in a very difficult situation
1: <laughs> yeah so I think this actually goes to um I think that one of the last two things I want to talk about mm-hmm. which is day-to-day happiness yes uh, and then the last one I want to talk about was happiness after you die,
2: which oh, seems yes. a lot.
1: So the day-to-day happiness and the way my parents come into it is that, you know, I was telling you earlier the story about uh, cross-examination and and this lawyer who was destroying my witness and how I found happiness in that moment. So I recently had an incident where I had just a moment of sheer panic and unhappiness, which is <laughs> I had left, I left Korea to go to Chicago to do a hearing. I had to do the hearing within like, two or three hours after landing and um i left korea and i was almost at the airport and um i had this like stiff neck problem at the time i was carrying this pillow around which really helped me on the on airplanes and this pillow was so big it barely fit into my luggage because i don't check luggage when Mm -hmm. i travel so really barely fit into my small luggage and the whole car ride i was thinking how great is it that i fit this (laughs) pillow into this little (laughs) luggage because it's so hard and i was so proud of myself and 10 minutes before arrival i thought you know what kind of person goes on a 14-hour flight with only a pillow in their luggage and then i realized oh my god i completely forgot to pack a business suit oh
2: my god i was
1: wearing sweatpants (laughs) and a sweatshirt at the time and there's no way i would have enough time to like buy a whole suit and have it tailored after landing in chicago wow and this was a really important hearing i had to argue at so i was in a panic I'm really feeling like now there was not, not enough time to go back That's right. because I couldn't take a subsequent flight because I would miss the hearing. Oh
2: my God. Right. And, and
1: so this is one of those situations where no amount of money can solve this problem. Right. And so I'm almost 50 years old. And in that moment of sheer panic uh, and not knowing what to do, what did I do? Of course, I called my parents.
2: <laughs> of course.
1: <laughs> I called my parents and, you know, they're really quite elderly. So it took like half an hour to explain to them right. what was going on because mostly they just kept misunderstanding me and asking mm-hmm. me to repeat things. And um and it the way it got resolved was my dad was going to come to Chicago <laughs> with wow. a suit for me. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, of course, when I landed like an hour before him, and he was supposed to already be in touch with me in Chicago, and I couldn't find him in Chicago for several hours. Oh, my I only God. got in touch with him, like, I think with half an hour to to the hearing. Oh, my God. He, he had taken some bus <laughs> as opposed to the taxi I told him to take. He had forgotten, and... And he didn't know where he was, and, uh, but luckily he got there with just very few minutes to spare. I changed, I went and did the hearing. And of course the funny thing is that evening I had a business center with business contacts and I told them, you know, we have to add one to the party, is that okay? And they said, sure, who is it? I said, my dad, and they said, why is your father with you on a business trip? Oh my God. <laughs> but, but I think this goes back to uh, day-to-day happiness is that you know what a situation that caused so much unhappiness or acute unhappiness for a few minutes, Actually, it turned out to be uh, two days with my father, elderly father, who I really almost never get to spend sustained time with. That's right. Usually when we see each other often here in New York, uh, we only talk for a few minutes. Um, But I got to spend two days with him. He was so happy. This is like the most exciting thing that happened to him for a long time. (laughs) So He got to come to my business dinner and talk to like who he considers to be younger people, like people in their 40s and 50s. And so the whole thing turned out to be really great. So I think... uh, Finding little nuggets of happiness day to day, in even in situations that are unhappy, mm-hmm. actually, just like everything else we talked about, takes a conscious effort. Right. Uh, and I think I could have spent the entire time stressed out about the suit. I could have spent the whole time being mad at my dad that he uh, uh-huh. almost, almost got <laughs> lost, etc. Um, but uh, I actually uh, found, you know, not only is it... I actually start laughing at myself that I'm almost 50 years old and I'm at the, I'm the head of this firm and in a panic, I can't figure out what to do. I call mom and dad. Yeah. Of course. yeah and then, uh, and then, you know, in Chicago, I realized this has turned into a really great, two days with my dad in yeah. chicago that i'll remember after he dies
0: did you did you take him around to see chicago a little
1: bit no he's a, he's basically an old man who's in a bad mood most oh. of the time so he had no interest <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> but but he did enjoy coming to the dinner
0: he's <laughs> like oh wow like i got to go to dinner with yeah, michael and exactly and like he's he served an important role for you right yeah, it, yeah
1: and it's let him tell the same story over and over again now <laughs> Uh, about how he had to go to Chicago in an emergency and save me. <laughs>
0: oh, wow. That's wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> so even though you're still relatively very young, um, you're still in your 40s, um, you've achieved so much. So have you thought about, about your own legacy and how you would eventually like to be remembered?
1: Uh, yeah. So I think this goes with happiness after you die. This is a big theme for a lot of people when they talk about um, know, how they want to be remembered or like what what impact you're going to make. So for me, uh, I actually haven't given it any thought. I actually don't care mm. uh, at all what happens after I die <laughs> so in terms of how people remember me. I care like in terms of like I want my kids to be happy and things of that right, sort. Right. But in terms of how people remember me, uh, I actually don't care at all. Wow. And the reason that it's been really liberating to accept that is that I think um, – many people that i've run across do things because they say well this is really important for you know how uh, people remember me or i need to achieve this because then people will know i was you know managing director of goldman sachs right. or or and or i if i um if i act uh, morally then you know even though it's something that makes you unhappy then people will remember i did this really good thing but um i think uh once What's, what's actually happening is that if it actually brings you genuine joy to sit around and think that people will think thoughts about you after you're already gone, then do it. Because mm. if that's really what deep down, you d- dig deep down and just thinking about that today in terms of what's going to happen after you die actually brings you joy, then you should do whatever it is you're talking about. But if you're actually doing things because you think that that's what you're supposed to be doing. you know, right. People are supposed to care about their legacy or whatever it is. Um, I actually think that you're actually sacrificing happiness today to try to create happiness after you die, which is a, it's actually a physical impossibility.
0: That's right. So
1: I've actually um, realized that it doesn't deep down matter to me that much whether people think good thoughts or bad thoughts about me after I die. And so uh, I haven't had to sacrifice happiness today to try to create happiness after I die. Mm. Um, you know, there is a novel I read when I was in college, which really... Um, one of the images really struck me, which is it was Vladimir Nabokov. Uh, he was a very uh, incredible writer. He was a, really an award-winning novelist in multiple languages, like Russian, French, English. Um, and uh, one of his novels was A Speak Memory. And one of the beginning scenes is Nabokov watches a black and white film mm-hmm. about that shows his crib
2: wow. in the
1: days before he was born.
2: Wow. And
1: he says, he kind of likens it to his coffin because it is a view into a world where he doesn't exist.
2: Wow. And
1: he really uh, describes it in such a skillful way that I can't really do it justice. Where he's looking at a movie of his empty crib and realizes this is a world where he doesn't exist. That's and right. he he feels like he's looking at his coffin with his corpse in it, which is also the same thing of a world that where he doesn't exist. And he thought it was quite so interesting that... People feel so sad about their death
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: what happens afterwards that they're they're not going to be around. And yet they don't feel the same sadness about the millennia that transpired without them there before they were born. (laughs) When in fact, it's exactly the same thing. It's a world where you just don't exist. That's
2: so true. So
1: I think a lot of people get obsessed with the future and their death and what happens afterwards. When if you really ask yourself, well, why are you so obsessed with what people will think about you into the future? When in fact, you've never even given any thought to the world before you were born anyway. And that's a world where nobody had any thoughts about you whatsoever. Like, why doesn't that bother you? That nobody even knew that you would ever exist, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, again, it crystallizes to, do you really get present happiness from thinking something's going to happen after you die? Mm -hmm. Or are you doing something because you think that's what you're supposed to be feeling? And so for me, the answer to your question is, I actually don't care at all. Mm -hmm. And that has allowed me to maximize happiness while I'm alive.
0: So being focused on your present moment, what makes you happy now versus the things that's outside of your control, how people think about you. Yeah, I'm I'm
1: totally fine with after I die, people just completely forget about (laughs) me. I but i guess these broadcasts these, i don't uh, think yeah. it will, people
0: will <laughs> these broadcasts will <laughs> still be yeah, alive right. and hopefully people will still be listening to you <laughs> and when we're both gone
1: right hopefully. well by definition i don't care whether people listen to me after i die because <laughs> i won't even be aware of it
0: <laughs> so do you have any um final words of advice to people listening now because now you have fans from all over the world considering you a yoda korean american yoda a virtual mentor
1: Uh, So I really want to thank everybody for really thinking any of this (laughs) stuff is actually that insightful. Uh, But I'm really very encouraged by hearing how so many people are giving conscious thought to identifying what their dreams are and pursuing it. Right. Um, And I think that, um, you know, everybody just has their own method for how it worked for them. I'd say really, if you had to just distill everything I said into just what is the one thing that actually I think really helped me achieve what I want. It's been systematic behavior. Mm. It's been systemizing, routinizing the things you want because um, there's a, a saying in Korean. It's called "eulshim samil." That's
2: right. So mm-hmm.
1: you know it means a uh, like one heart, three days. Essentially, any passion you feel about anything will disappear within three days. Is the concept? <laughs> okay? That's true. And so, no matter how bright your uh, fire burns for whatever dream. To actually carry anything into practice requires doing a lot of things that you don't want to do on a day-to-day basis to achieve something in the future. And so this is why most people fail because they rely on their passion to keep driving them every day when in fact passion for anything really fades pretty quickly over time, especially when you have to counter adversity.
2: Yeah, for sure.
1: Passion for a goal fades when you realize the day-to-day slog you have to go through to get to it passion for people fade when you have to deal with them day to day and you see all so their true. bad sides, right? Yeah. So I think understanding the f- fading of passion as a motivation, as, as the primary engine, is built into human nature. So stop with the cycle of feeling passion, setting out something to do, not being able to carry it out because your passion is what you're, what you're relying on to push you, and then feeling bad about yourself. I think you should assume passion will burn out depending on your nature anywhere from six months to 72 hours from now when you feel it, <laughs> right. okay? So once you accept that passion will burn out, but you still want to achieve that goal, I think for me, what has really hap- worked is breaking it down into routine behavior that you know you have to engage in to get to the goal. And when you get to the goal, even if your passion has largely burned out as, in terms of as a motivating factor, whatever caused you to really want that goal Uh, It really just makes you very happy to achieve it. Mm. So I'd say focus on routines and systematic behavior as opposed to letting your passion drive you. Your passion should help identify your goal, but it should not be the engine that you rely on to achieve your goal.
0: Mm. So thinking about what you want and that you know that from the passion, but knowing that it will eventually disappear and Creating a systematic behavior that you can engage in on a consistent basis to get what you want.
1: Exactly. Even
0: though your passion will not be there six months or three days from now. It
1: may, it'll be there, but it won't be strong enough to make you do all the things you need to do.
0: That's right. right? That's right. Well, Michael, thank you so much. Oh, my God, this was well, thank so you. fun, yeah. and I can't wait to share. Well, all sequels
1: you. are never as good as the original, so I doubt this will do as well as the first, but I thank no, everybody I'm for listening. No, I'm positive it will do well. There
0: are so many people who are waiting for this episode to come out, so thank you so much, Michael. Right.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
2: thank you.
0: I hope you enjoy my conversation with Michael If you're interested in learning more about my group coaching program for Career Happiness Academy, please check out the link I have on the show notes. Just for this first group, I'll be including two sessions of one-on-one 90-minute coaching with me for each person in the program, and I will not offer a one-on-one coaching in my future group coaching program, so if you are curious about coaching, this will be the best time for you to participate. In the program, you'll learn how to gain self-awareness by learning more about yourself, like Michael and I talked about today, and how you can gain clarity about your goals and how to take action to achieve them. The benefit of the group program is that you'll be part of an inspiring community of successful people who are going through a journey of transforming their careers and lives. The group dynamic will offer mutual support, accountability, and a space to share ideas and challenges, and you'll be able to build relationships that can extend beyond the class. So if you are ready for a big change, I invite you to join me in this inspirational journey to transform your career and life so you can finally take action and achieve what you have always wanted, whether that is a career transition, starting a side project, writing a book, or whatever your goal or dream may be. I'll be inviting people on a rolling basis, and I expect it to fill up pretty quickly, so... If you're interested, I encourage you to take a look at the link in the show notes or go to selinalee.co forward slash C-H-A that is C-E-L-I-N-A-L-E-E dot C-O forward slash C-H-A which stands for Career Happiness Academy and reach out to me by filling out a short questionnaire and we'll schedule a time to talk. Filling out the questionnaire does not mean you're signing up for the program. This is just a way for me to learn about your background and who you are and how I may be able to help you. And during our phone conversation, you can ask me any questions you have about me and about the program. If you have questions about my one-on-one coaching or have any thoughts or questions about my podcast, you can also visit me at my website, selenalee.co, and please send me a message on my contact page and please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And while you're at it, I would really appreciate it if you can please write me a review. It's really easy to do it on iTunes, and it will really help me to spread the word and get discovered by new listeners. So thank you so much, and I'll be back soon with another episode. I hope you have a great week.